to the Built on Air podcast, the variety show for all things Airtable. Each episode, we cover four different segments. It's always fresh and different and lots of fun while you get the insider info on all things Airtable. Our hosts and guests are some of the most senior experts in the Airtable community. Join us live each week on our YouTube channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And join our active community at builtonair.com join. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor, OntoAir.com. Any business running on Airtable gets the value that Airtable has, but also needs a few more functions to complete their operations. That's where OntoAir comes in. It's a suite of tools for any business running on Airtable to maximize your operations efficiencies and automations. One customer, John, states that OntoAir enables his business to function properly without having to think about building their own software. And that is pretty invaluable. The OntoAir Airtable apps are amazing and we use them often and are very happy with the results. So join John and hundreds more customers and take your Airtable to the next level with OntoAir. Sign up today with promo code BUILTONAIR for a 10% discount. Check them out at OntoAir.com. And now let's check out today's episode and see what we built on air. Welcome back to season 15, episode one. It's good to be back with you after a month off. Ali, Camille, good to see you again. Are we live? We are live. All right, cool. Hi. Hello. (laughs) We've had a few weeks off. You guys have a good break. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Very good. We're glad to be back. Always good to have people watching us. Good to have. Hi, Brandy. Brandy. That's right. That's who that is. Well, for our new season, we'll be kicking off with um, some fun, exciting things. Welcome, Garrett, to the show. So for today, we'll always start with our round the bases. We've got a a lot of things to get caught up on, on what's new in the last month since we've been off. And then a quick shout out to OntoAir, our primary sponsor. And then uh, it doesn't show up here. My automation broke, but we'll do some more automation create. Ali's going to walk through uh, two-way sync. And then Camille's going to answer a question from a community member and then a quick shout out to join our community and then finally we'll talk about the new progress bars so with that that's a little sneak peek to something that came out let's talk about what's new so the first one um is in interfaces so they launched this was middle of june they launched uh some new interface features Let's see what they talk about. So we've got conditional form fields. So as far as uh, visibility, got helper text, limit select options, and read-only default values. So a lot of things. Thoughts? Have you used any of these? I have. They're pretty useful. These are more, because they're interfaces, they're still... um, internal facing, whereas a regular form view is the one that you could send to anybody in the world uh, to fill out. But these are bringing them more into parity with what um, form views can do. Um, I've made a lot of use of, particularly with select fields, just showing one option and then making it required and then not letting them edit that field. So you basically come in with a default uh, value. And that's pretty useful for 
um, you know, certain use cases, especially since you could have multiple different forms. So each form can have a different default depending on like, oh, you're a manager, fill out the manager form. If you're a, you know, regular employee, fill out the regular one and it comes in with a different value. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exciting stuff. I think I still don't really use the interface forms just because of a couple different things, but Mainly, I want them to be, I want there to be a redirect option because right now when you just hit submit, it's just like record created and then you stay on the page and like nothing really happens, um, which I don't love. Um, and then I also just don't love how, I wish there were more options to get to the form rather than having a page specifically for the form or like having the little plus by the record picker. Mm -hmm. Like if you could just, you know, bypass needing a record picker to get to the form, like, or all sorts of things. I'm basically, I'm just using buttons and automations to create new records and interfaces still. Yeah, yeah. And um, and forms in here are just for creating new records? Yep. Yes, right? they're, they're not for editing. So it it is, it has like the, it's positioned such yes. that it makes sense to me that it should be able to be like adapted to edit an existing record and the changes only happen when you hit submit because otherwise it's just a normal page, right? It, it all changes would happen as you keystroke. Maybe you want a page that's like, show me everything non-editable. You click a button, you get to a form that edits it, but only when you click submit. I could see that being very useful to a lot of different people. And that's something you could do in an interface form, but not in an interface or a form view as easily. So I don't know if that's something that they'd work towards. I feel like it wouldn't be a monstrous lift on the back end because interfaces are baked in. The record ID is in the URL somewhere. This is the record I'm trying to edit for all the other types of views. So who knows? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Jen mentions it only really works on the same screen if you use list view, which is a pain. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so it's good, good step forward. I think as always more, more room for, for growth on the feature side and functionality, but definitely love to hear your experiences using interface forms. Um, yeah, likewise, I don't, yeah, I don't think we use the actual forms as much yet. So it's getting there. All right, next one. Um, I already mentioned we're gonna go deep into this so we don't need to, um, talk too much, but they now have a new, it's not a new field type. It's still a percentage field, um, which we'll talk about later in the show, but now you get a nice visual progress bar that you can display. So that is cool. Yeah. Really, really like that one. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, yeah, but you can also use it with computed fields as well. That's important too. So, but you have to format it as a percent. So, can be used with uh, with formulas, rollups, and lookups. All right, next one. There's another one. I didn't see this one um, shared directly from Airtable, but uh, Jan, who goes by uh, Databaser, found this and posted on the Airtable forums. And um, so basically, if you're using uh, synced source, 
um, it will show you a link back to the back to the uh, original source to make it easy to jump back to it. Because I believe uh, otherwise you would need to create a button that that linked back to the source field. Mm -hmm. So now they make that easy. Yeah, I can't remember when this first appeared, but it is pretty useful, um, especially if you have a multi-source sync um, going on and you don't know like which base this particular record came from. Right. Yeah, but like I, I think it's it's there in the expanded record model. It'd be great if you could have, um, I don't know, something similar in an interface environment. I know you could create like Dan said, a button that would take you there, but like you, you lose the syncing from and then the name of the sync source that's sort of automatically update if you rename the sync source. So like if there was, I don't know if it's a field type, I don't know if it's a formula um, that you could plug in, that'd be great if you could add these into anywhere you might see a record, including interfaces. Yeah, and right now they have the, the sync source field that gets automatically added is only if you have more than one source syncing to the same mm -hmm. table. So it would be nice to be able to add that just even if you only have one source. Yeah, I'm, I'm dealing right now where I'm setting up a base where one of the bases that's going to sync into it is ready. And then there's three more that will be created eventually. But I already know that certain records from certain bases need to be treated differently. And I can't create a formula that says if sync source is blah, 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 blah yet, because it won't let me put that field in. And it just feels feels like arbitrary that it's not yeah. there unless you have a multi-source sync. Just put it there if you have a sync at all. I, yeah. think, I think if you I think you can kind of hack it if you add a sync, a second source and then remove it. I think it keeps the same. That will work, but I don't want to do that. Fair. I want it to be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, that's the hidden hidden field that only shows up in magical instances. <laughs> all right, so yeah, that's. Um, I think uh, that's all the features. This one came out at the end of May, but after our last episode, and um, then those other ones as far as i know the only feature announcements that, that came out the last month so let's move on let's go to the built-on air community this is always a fun one um hannah posed some some nice uh questions food for thought this one is if Airtable disappeared tomorrow what would you use mm -hmm. always good to see what people have to say camille you were the first to respond yeah, I said Xano, and if I needed to edit a bunch of records in like a grid-like format, um, Glide has its own open source table component that I would probably try and make use of because it, editing records one by one in Xano is very annoying. Granted, you're not supposed to do that one by one. It's an API builder, so logically you would edit your records via API, but if you're getting started, my God, is it annoying. Other than that, uh, I've been playing with it a lot this past week. A uh, month and it's, you know, uh, I like it. There's some things I miss, but a lot of things that it adds that I think are pretty good. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, some other ones. Um, let's see who. Uh, Angel says, I can't imagine using anything else but Airtable for a no code database. Ben says, antidepressants. 
comment there. Um, so there are a few, you know, I said Glide, uh, maybe spreadsheet.com or Google tables. If Google continues to support that, or maybe just go back to Google Sheets. <clears throat> Any other interesting ones? Yeah, Ellie, do you have a go-to? Oh gosh, I try not to even think about it. I probably should. <laughs> um, no, I don't right now. I mean, I played with Coda a lot and I really liked it, but it didn't scale well. Um, but I've heard good things about some updates that they've made in the last couple of years. So maybe I'd try that out again. Yeah, Mecca says, indeed, to find a new job. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. Kavan says, Coda. Scott says, FileMaker. Andres is Smartsheet. Um, Zapier Tables. I haven't played with Zapier Tables. I, I saw the launch. I think I did like look at it for a minute, but... I don't think it's quite there for a replacement. Uh, Notion, you could do you could do a lot with Notion. It wouldn't be quite the same experience. <clears throat> um, and then uh, graph graph API from from Jen. So interesting. It would be interesting to see how um, Jotform has a. Nobody mentioned Jotform tables. <laughs> Well, I remembered it happened as soon as you said Zapier tables. I was like, oh yeah, and Jotform has one too. Yeah. But no one ever, or at least no one in my sphere, uh, references either of those. And that's not yeah. to say that they're not good. It's just that I don't know anyone who's ever used them, so I don't know what that says. Yeah, there's a couple open source replacements, like kind of clones of Airtable that are out there that that could be worth exploring. So. Yeah, there's something there's something unique about Airtable. I mean, I think SmartSuite is coming up as kind of a pretty, you know, direct competitor and coming up market. So we'll see how that continues to to expand. It's probably the one to watch. All right, let's move on. We're in the uh, Dev channel in Built on Air. Um, this one, Jen asked a common question about. Uh, how to append to, to the URL. And I thought this was worth pointing. Um, just talking about just general, you know, if you're if you're trying to create URLs, if it's a um, um, if it's a get request, I don't know, this is hard to explain, but if it there's a get and a post, and a get means you're retrieving data. So most website, when you go to a website, you're actually performing a, a get request. Um, and a post is when you're sending data. So a get request does not have a body, a post does. So if you need to pass information into a get request, like a URL, you have to pass it as parameters. Um, and, uh, so, but the big thing that I wanted to share here, so we kind of clarify, she, she figures out how to do parameters, but the big thing was, uh, this link from Scott, which I had never seen this tool. I don't know, somebody created a nice um, little tool that's free and helps you to generate the URL um, that would be necessary for using the Airtable API. So if you're ever doing anything with the API and you want to figure out how to generate uh, the URL, this is a nice little tool that will help you. I believe this is built by Airtable themselves or it is at least directly referenced in some of their uh, support documentation. Maybe, uh, yeah. Oh, it's set yeah. a pen by Airtable. Yeah. 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 
so yeah i was looking to see like what else they've got um it'd be nice if they sort of baked this into they have that automatic documentation for all of your bases for like here's what the get request would be it'd be great if you could just plug in into that interface like if you wanted certain query parameters just fill them in in that same space so it will be all sort of cohabitated and pre-filled with what your base id is yeah mm -hmm. if you ever needed to sort strings with emojis looks like they've got a script for that and then they've got some random ones. Edward doing some. I wonder if this is just some person at your table and then they like forgot to log out. Yeah. <laughs> like what what is what's the relationship of that to your table? You know, yeah. one of these makes sense. Right? Oh, they've got more. Oh wow. Well, wow. I wonder what they are. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if these are developers I've, that work there. I'm beginning to notice a theme. <laughs> Twelve hundred by nine hundred. Yeah. They must have done a, a challenge. What's or happening? <laughs> this is so strange. That one's got eighty thousand views, and all the rest are like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Very good. All right. So that's where. Uh, if you want to see what the latest, maybe they'll they'll leak some uh, upcoming updates that they're testing in there. Right. <laughs> can keep an eye on that. All right. Here's one from Justin, friend of the show, um, talking about the REST API. We'll keep it in the dev channel. This I thought was an interesting discussion that um, you actually don't have to match the table ID with the base ID. So even if you have the wrong base ID, but you have the table ID, it will still retrieve the um, the the record that, that you're looking for. Uh, actually, it's just the record ID is what you need. You don't you don't even need the right um, table or base. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it's um, in the custom extensions API, the expand record function. You you only provided the record ID. It doesn't even ask for the table. So, um, you know, record IDs are supposed to be unique and I guess they're so unique that they're like, yeah, I'm, we don't care what table it is. We know, we know what the record is. They're unique across all the bases and all of their table. It, it would seem that way. Now, I, you know, you obviously have to provide it a base ID, I believe, because um, then it's like, you're going to query all of Airtable all at once. That seems like a hefty load. Um, but yeah, for it, it does not seem to me to parse what table it comes from. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, interesting tidbit. And then Bill talks about if you have like a ton, um, it does reduce the size by not including it. So there might be advantages of doing it. But yeah, you probably always should um include the the base id as needed and for documentation like as you're yeah. writing a script if you just say oh get this record and then two months later you have to expand the script to do some maintenance on it you're not going to know what what's happening because if you can figure out oh this record i'm trying to pull from this table the projects table then i know where to look for this missing record. But if you just say, get this record, it's gonna be hard to debug later in life. So just yep. ask for it anyway, if you know it. 
Yeah. All right. Here's another feature. Actually, this one snuck in. This came from Mecca. He spotted this in the run history. So within your automations, um, you can now sort them or filter by the status. So you can, there's a drop down now in the run history and you can see which ones failed, which ones canceled. Um, so this is one step to search. Once yeah. they add search, that will be helpful. This is awesome. That's, I mean, it's been a long time coming, but it's so frustrating, especially if you have an automation that runs very often and you like wake up in the morning and you've got an alert from last night and you're like, okay, now I've got to search for all of them. Yep. Um, yeah, year. especially because the email you got doesn't tell you, you know, it tells you the time, but it doesn't tell you what went wrong. I know. Yeah. Yep. It's, this is one of my favorite more recent updates just because it's a, a quality of life thing. It's not a new feature really. It's just helping you find automation runs that have already happened. Um, and it makes, I, you know, now that I'm in an inter enterprise environment practically a hundred percent of the time, and there's so many automations going all at once, mm -hmm. the fail to run tab is my new best friend. <laughs> my goodness if something goes wrong i want to know and i don't want to have to like you know wade through a billion successful runs to get to the one that failed um i will say i don't i haven't really figured out when a run is canceled like i, I know it happens but i can't figure out what causes an automation to be canceled versus it failing to run yeah that's a good question the only time I've ever seen it actually say canceled is say you like, hopefully this never happens to you, but it happens to the best of us. Say you forget you've got an automation on and you like are importing data or something and you forget to shut it off. And then you paste all the rows and then you're like, oh no, and go into your automations and shut it off. But by that time, all of them have already started to run. Exactly. So it, it'll cancel them when they've just started. Um, Got it. I have noticed there's other situations where if you say like you've made a change to a field that like nullifies your automation, like makes it so it can't run anymore, that will sometimes show up as a failed run, which is weird. And the error, like the error message in the failed run will be like, Airtable shut this automation off because it broke. Um, those are interesting. Well, that I don't know if that one bothers me because I think I'd rather it be failed versus canceled because then it's an error. If something is canceled, then it's like, you know, uh, whatever. You know, the next time it'll run, it'll run. But if you know, if something went wrong, if the automation is no longer compatible with your schema, that right. feels like an error to me. It's what 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 bothers me about it. And I think the only thing that bothers me about it is that I don't think it actually corresponds with an actual run. It's just ah. like not a record didn't try to run like or didn't trigger it. It just is like a fake instance that it uh, puts yeah, that is strange. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, useful. Yeah. Jen has a question whether it counts against the runs or not. I don't I don't know if you cancel it. If you cancel those mids. I think if they trigger, once they trigger, I think they might count. Yeah. I, I think it is the trigger because with the repeated actions, um, 
each repeated action is not a new automation run. It's just, it, it, it is counting the triggers. And so it would be consistent of Airtable to count canceled runs as runs because they were triggered, they just didn't complete. Agreed. Do failed, do failed automations count? Yeah. I mean, they they should by law by, by logic. It'd be great if you know, I I think we've all been there when we've accidentally triggered like a hundred automations and many of them failed. It'd be great if our our yeah. failures didn't count, but they did trigger. Yeah, well them. sometimes it's Airtable's fault that they failed. That is true. There was many a times. period there was a period like I think it might have been in our month break where we had a very script heavy automation and Airtable had an not even Airtable, it wasn't Airtable's fault. It was AWS that went That's down. Right. And so every script action failed because it had nothing to process its scripting power. And yeah. that's not my fault. That's not Airtable's fault either. But it does mean we still got charged. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. All right, let's move on. A couple more. This one, uh, Camille, if you want to explain. So you say, if you edit a record in an interface that will filter it out of your views, the relevant record picker from which that filter stems will now highlight itself in addition to the your changes. We'll hide this record toast at the bottom of the page. Yeah, it, this would have been great with a photo that I couldn't quite capture. <laughs> um, but uh, for a while now in... Um, regular grid views, if you were to um, edit a record and whatever you edited makes it no longer compatible with the current filters, it will disappear from that view as soon as you move your mouse away. So like as soon as you click out of that record, it will disappear from your view. But it, the whole row would be highlighted orange. That's been a feature for quite some time. And somewhat recently in interfaces, now if you have like a record picker or the record list component or something of that effect um, and you're editing a record and now it's no longer part of whatever that record picker's filter is, similarly, you're, you'll get a toast message at the bottom. Um, it says, hey, you're about to hide this record from view, but it will also take whatever the record picker is or the record list and outline it in orange. So it's a, I think it's a nice visual indicator of like, if you have multiple record pickers on your page, it's just nice to say, oh, yeah, it's this one that it's no longer compatible with. And it still won't go away until you click away or click on a different record. But uh, just another, again, quality of life improvement rather than like a feature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good. All right, a few more. Um, so I can't remember who so we had a guest on. A while ago and they showed us this this hack of how to um copy and paste attachments into the file upload widget and but you had to cl like click in the header area in order for it to like get focus but apparently according to russell that that that's fixed now so you don't have to click in that secret area anymore very nice nice so now when, once the pop-up comes up, you can, I believe, just paste directly in and it will recognize it. So that's a cool, I bet, I'll bet one of the Airtable developers listened to that episode and was like, I can fix that. Yeah, yeah it seems like it would have been a, autofocus is a thing that you could just add to HTML elements and they would probably like an idea. Yep, so. A, a simple fix. 
Nice little addition. Shout out to whatever intern or maybe a new employee fixed that. So shout out to whoever fixed that at Airtable. Go unnoticed, but not by us. We notice. Okay, for back to the uh, Airtable forums. Um, question on the personal access tokens. You likely got an email or I probably got 30 emails saying that all the accounts that I have access to that, uh, that you can no longer create account tokens starting August 1st, I believe. Um, and that's not exactly what this is asking, but it's kind of the bigger question of like moving away from account tokens. And this question is more about personal access tokens and in, and specifically that JotForm has not, um, made the change yet to use either OAuth or personal access tokens. And so um, what that means, I think, I think Scott mentions it is any new accounts, you know, it's fine if you've already, if you've already have your account key that you can use, but any new Airtable users, they will not have an account um, API key starting August 1st. Mm -hmm. And so that means they wouldn't be able to use any of these services that have not upgraded yet. So that's relevant. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad they, I mean, before all we knew was that it would just be after January, they'd be deprecated. But now this is kind of new where it's like, oh, you can't actually create anything new. Yeah. Luckily, most of the apps out there like Zapier um, have already made the update. So yeah. I actually prefer it that way, which is nice. Yeah, although I will give an update. Um, so, it, so you likely, if if you started using, I know Zapier had issues with this. I think um, maybe Softer, somebody else, a big player. So Airtable's OAuth implementation um, is not perfect, and they were too quick to to cancel your connection for um, when it was refreshing. It's kind of technical, but what was happening is Zapier was losing its connection from Airtable because Airtable was cutting it off um, too aggressively. And we experienced this at Ontoair as well. Um, I think we figured it out, but I also was pushing them heavy that they needed to have a grace period and at first they were saying, no, no, you got to just deal with it. But once, you know, once the real big players were experiencing the same things I was, um, they, I think they finally realized they needed to implement the grace period. So I think we were able to figure it out even before they implemented it. But I believe now there's a grace period. So I haven't seen those errors coming up as much with Zapier and whatnot. So. Um, so yeah, if you had, if you had issues where your connection was getting dropped, um, I think they've, they've fixed that. Perfect to know. Yep. Last one. Okay. From Twitter, this actually came from Airtable. Um, thought this was somewhat interesting. Um, Captera, that's kind of a website you go to, to rank or to get reviews on different software. They generate a, a report of, so this is the database software category. I don't know if I put Airtable in a, in a true database software platform. It is to a degree, um, but I guess they've got access on here as well. It's kind of a strange list. It's, 
and it's like I can't even tell who these are. Um, yeah. And there's a whole lot more databases out there. This is a pretty limited list for whatnot. But anyways, that's where Airtable fits in the database world. Top perf top performer. Yep. So uh, emerging top performer. Yeah. So the scale is uh, highly rated highest rated so it has a high rating and a popularity score so this is based off of ratings um in captera and their reviews so i can only right. assume that like four quadrant includes firebase because it's like why would mongodb be on here but not yeah. firebase yeah there's postgres I, I recognize the elephant yeah no idea what's in there it's so small i uh, know yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I checked, I checked threads, um, now threads that came out since the last time we met. So now there's a new social media platform. Um, but you can't search on, you can't really search for keywords or anything. You can only search for people right now on, on threads. And so still some work to do where okay. you can, uh, really use it, but, um, we'll see. The other bad part is they don't have a web interface. It's, it's mobile app only. So it might be difficult to show if anything of interest comes up on threads. Interesting. But we'll keep an eye on it. If the, there are people, you know, you can search profiles. And so there's like 10 people that have Airtable in their profile. So there is, uh, there is people talking about Airtable to some extent. Awesome. All right, let's jump to uh, our primary sponsor, Onto Air. It's an all-in-one toolkit to run your business on Airtable. Check us out at ontoair.com. Um, so last month, I don't know if you knew this, but last month was Backup Awareness Month, National Backup Awareness Month. So since we were off, um, we decided that this month we're going to highlight our backups and um, talk about that. So onto our backups is our backup solution. And um, <clears throat> so you can check it out on tourair.com slash backups, see how people are using it to make sure that their data is safe and secure outside of Airtable. And I was gonna highlight our essential guide to backups for your Airtable base. So Hannah, who is our marketing guru, um, wrote up this great uh, guide and got, walked you all through everything, best practices related to Airtable and backups and how you could do it either by yourself or by leveraging our tool at Onto Air. So check that out um, in our resource section and um, we'll walk you through the process. So very cool. So if you're not backing up your data, June is the reminder month to remind you to back up your data. And so we'll be talking about that the next couple of weeks uh, on this podcast. Okay, let's move on. Automate create two-way sync with Ali. Share your screen. There you go. Awesome. All right. So this is a long awaited feature um, that unfortunately is only available to enterprise clients. Um, so I'm working in an enterprise workspace here. Um, another huge bummer is like, if you had access to the private beta, that is now gone. So even if you had access to it and you weren't in an enterprise uh, workspace, 
that went away when they released mm -hmm. the feature full fledged, which is a huge bummer. Yeah. Uh, but if you are lucky enough to have an enterprise workspace and maybe someday they will release it to the masses, which would be great. Um, here is how you can take advantage of two-way sync. So I've got a very, very simple table here. I just threw it together for this demo. Um, I'm going to start by creating a view that I'm going to sync out to another base. And my best practice for that is I always create a new view. And I name it with like a couple emojis here that's like, you know, telling me this is integral to a process. And it's also got a lightning bolt telling me it's either associated with a sync or an automation. Um, the reason for that is if you just go with your grid view and sync this out somewhere else, and then you change the filters on this main view here, then all the records on your um, destination base are going to be messed with and some of them will go away. So I always create a new view and then eventually I will lock this down so that I can't even change the filters because sometimes I forget. <laughs> um, so if I go to share and sync, and actually I'm going to do, I'm going to add a filter and say where the status is active because I want to play with something live in a moment here. So I'm going to go to share and sync and this menu has up, been updated a little bit. I think it's so much cleaner now. Um, I can say sync data to another base and I want to toggle on allow data to be synced to another to other bases. Um, this is the new feature where I can say I want to allow edits from other bases. So if I toggle that on, now I get the option to say, okay, all the editable fields can be uh, edited in the destination base, or I can say just specific fields. So if I want to, let's uh, say everything but email can be updated in the destination. Now I'm going to say sync this view. That view sync activity, that seems like a new thing as well. I haven't really looked at that, but that sounds cool. It, it's fairly new. It looks at once you sync to a new source, go back and look at view sync activity. So we'll show this view is being synced out to all of these different bases and if you click and go directly to them. It's very useful. Great. Absolutely. Really, really cool. Um, so here is um, another caveat is you have to be syncing also to an enterprise workspace. I just tested this out where syncing from enterprise to a different workspace, you still can't edit the data as if it were two-way syncable. So bummer, you've got to pick an enterprise workspace for this to work. So I'm going to just create a new base and make sure I've got this top option on so that it'll be kept up to date as data changes. And now I am able to, oh, wow, interesting. I think you have to enable it from within this base as well. So <laughs> if you go to the, the actual table tab and then do update sync configuration and then turn edit records on. Mm -hmm. that I, is yeah, I, fe I feel like if you're creating a new you know, if you, if you went through the process that you went through, you, you're creating a new base and a new table, that should just be on because you've selected it as editable from the original. 
there are yeah. instances where you're putting it into like you turn that toggle in on after you've already created the source that I get it not being on by default, but the way you did it, it should. Exactly. It should be on, <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, I guess it, you know, makes the security pitfalls minimal. Um, sure. So this is great too. You're, you're able to decide if it's, you know, creators and above or editors and editors and above, or just no one. So I'll leave it as editors and above. Um, and now that that's on, I always hit that button when you don't actually have to. Um, now I can actually edit this data. Um, so if I actually change this to technically my real last name. <laughs> I changed my name, everyone, but I'm keeping my full name professionally. Uh, <laughs> now in my source base, that has also been updated. Um, and it's instant. It's super, super cool. Um, I'm only sharing one window, but I should have, um, if I did it side by side, you could also just kind of see it being updated. Yeah. Um, now, one thing I wanted to try out that I haven't actually tested is I want to see what happens um, because I have this filtered where the status is active. And I've made it so that you can actually edit the status field on the destination base, which I would think is probably not best practice, but I wanted to just see what would happen live here. If we actually change this to say inactive, like, is it going to say this has been filtered out? Yeah, it doesn't, it just goes away. So that's something to note is be careful, make sure that you're either just not allowing people to edit that field. Um, in the destination base, if it's part of your filter for your source, um, or make sure people are aware that if they do that, then there's no real way to get that record back. If I hit Control Z, just says record. <laughs> Broke it. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, the the record it can't it can't claw back that record because it right. wasn't technically deleted from Airtable's perspective. So it has nothing for the undo button to grab. Mm -hmm. I feel like they should fix that though and just say they have a pop-up that comes up sometimes saying can't undo action and it should just come up with that one in this instance exactly so just be really careful with what fields you're allowing people to edit um another difference between the full-fledged two-way sync version and the beta that some of you may have had access to is in the beta you weren't able to edit those synced fields in interfaces, but in the new full-fledged release, you can, which is really, really great. Um, I have not tried to edit any of these field values with like Zapier or API calls. Have either of you? No, I do know that you can't edit them directly through an Airtable automation, which is you, deeply Yeah, annoying. the API, you can't, you can't edit. I think that was one of the constraints. Yeah, I would. I would think that would be my expectation, um, but just wanted to see. Which is which is frustrating because any third-party tool, any form builder or whatever, you can't you can't use on these tables. Exactly. But you also no. can't add a new record from the, the destination base. So. Mm, yeah. Right. Definitely some limitations. I mean, the other thing is like if you have two tables that you've got synced over from a different base, 
and you're linking them back together again with automations or something, changing up those linked relationships will not change the source base either. So it's really only just these, you know, one layer, one dimensional fields that you can edit and have sync back over. Um, which again, I would expect, but yeah, does, um, does make some annoyances, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So linked records, you can't do. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. But yeah, I mean, it's that, that opens up the use cases of what you can do now with, wow. with two-way sync and how to organize, especially for large enterprises, like multi-department and everything on that front. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Camille, what do you got for us? Um, there question. was a question on the forums that I thought was pretty interesting, um, titled uh, Create New Records for Each Week of Another Records Timeframe. So essentially, they have a form where someone could put a start date and an end date, and they want to break that one record out into multiple records for each week within that time frame. So it's unspoken in here, but I noticed the pattern that, you know, weeks start on Monday and end on Friday. Um, and that's not super relevant, uh, but it is relevant to this uh, precise implementation that I tried. So um, they specifically asked, um, can this be done without a script? And that's why I chose this question because I was like, can you do this in a script? And you can. So um, just as a quick look of what things look like from a uh, table structure. It's pretty simple. Oh, and before I forget, they also want to copy um, not just the broken out weeks into the new records. They want to copy certain fields from the original record as well. So I have a email address that is going to be copied amongst all of the different time frame records. There's a start date and end date that you would fill in um, from a form. And then I have two helper fields. And like Ali, I use um, uh, emojis to sort of uh, differentiate them. These have the gear icon because they are, you know, back end. You don't really have to look at them, um, but they do something important for the purposes of this automation. So the first one is clamped end date. And taking a look at that formula, um, I'm saying if there is a start date, then add you know, this bit five minus the weekday of the start date, that's in order to get it to be whatever the Friday of that week is, mm -hmm. add whatever necessary number of days to the start date. So, um, and then the second one is next start date. Now, if the clamped end date is less than end date, then add a week um, to, um, add a week onto you know, the, the appropriate start date. So um, I have the automation turned on and it's pretty simple, but I'll turn it off just so you guys can see. Um, I'm going to say test at email.com. I'm some person filling in some kind of form um, starting on the 7th and ending on, let's go all the way to the 4th of September. So now you'll see that both of these fields are filled out, whereas for the first four, because the automation already ran for these, only the first one is filled in. So the clamped end date is giving me the 11th, which should be, and it is, 
the Friday of the week of wherever I said the start date is. The next start date would be one week from this date. So what the automation is going to do now is say when this is not empty, then um, take this record, uh, change the end date to the clamped end date. So it's now just spanning one week and then create a new record that starts on this um, starts on this next start date. So mm -hmm. I'm going to go back and turn my automation back on. And then I'm going to have to uh, mess this up really quickly because it says when that field is not empty. So now if I give it a second to think a little bit, you can see that like one week by one week, it's going to um, duplicate the record, including the email address, and then it's going to copy and paste what the next start date is into the start date of the copied record. And then it's just going to keep doing that um, until it runs out of weeks where it needs to do that. And looking back at the automation um, in detail, you might do, this was specifically a form for this person, so they might have chosen when a form is submitted. Um, first thing I'm doing, again, I'm creating a new record in that same table where the start date is the next start date, and the end date is whatever the old end date was. Um, then copy the email address as well, and no matter how many fields that you wanted to copy over as well, you would just keep choosing choose field and then update the original one and uh, get rid of the end date that's too far away and instead insert the clamped end date. Um, and that's what one could do in order to do this without a script. Love it. It's like a little loop with one automation run per nice little trick. Yeah, so I mean, the, the caveat of course is that it is a fresh automation run it's not a true loop. Uh, right. It's not a repeating action. So you are going to every time, you know, for as many number of weeks there are, that's how many automation runs are going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, unless your end date is exactly one week away, then it, this won't be filled in. And then if no automation will run, that you get the picture. So as long as you're not, you know, running low on the number of automations you're given in your chosen plan, then this solution might work for you. And because it doesn't have a script involved, that means you can use it um, for a lower plan like free. Mm -hmm. Yep. Nice. Very cool. Nice solution there. Hopefully that helps. We'll have to uh, link to it on that thread. All right. Quick shout out to join our community at Built on Air. We'd love to have you in with us. We are growing. We're approaching 1,500 members in our Slack community, uh, more on our newsletter and growing our YouTube channel. Subscribe to all of those if you haven't already. So we'd love to uh, have you join. We'd also love to have you come on the, on the podcast. So if you've got something worth sharing with the community, please reach out and we'll have you on. All right, let's finish up with field focus. And we're gonna be talking about um, progress bars. So we mentioned this came out recently. <clears throat> so this is how you get these nice looking progress bars right here. Um, 
let's look at what they are. So they are a percent field. So this is not a new field type, like I mentioned earlier. So you still have to go to a percent field or um, you can also, let's do a formula that references the that field. And then if you format it as a percent, then it gives you the option to display it as a progress bar. And um, it, then you set up your own conditions. So I won't worry about that. Let's go back here. So if once you set it as the progress bar, the other option you have is to display the actual percent value next to the, to the progress bar. Um, so I'll show you what that looks like. And then in here you set up your conditions. So you can actually have um, pretty, actually pretty, pretty nice layers of coloring. So it, I think it goes in order. Um, it'll look for, to see if it solves this first condition first. If it does solve this as true, then it'll set it to this color. Then it'll go to the next one. If you have them out of order, you can drag them around so you can change the order. Um, but this wouldn't make sense because you, it would be true. It would never get to that second one because it would always be greater than 50. Mm -hmm. um, but you can also do like layered conditions. So that's kind of nice. You can say and or. And then you can also set up um, this otherwise, which is this default color. So you can specify if it's not any of these conditions, then set it to this color. And so you can add more, puts it up there, um, whatnot. So once you have your condition set up, then um, it's interesting. Yeah, I think it works. What is the display for a negative number? Let's yeah. find out. I, I actually think haven't tried that just, before. I think it shows us empty. Like I could be remembering wrong, but we'll see now. Yeah, yeah. it shows it empty. So it doesn't go negative on the display. Uh, but yeah, you see these nice. So now I'm having it display the percent sign next to it. It's kind of interesting to edit it. You just click into it and then you modify the oh. percent um, sign there. If you don't have it, now these aren't editable because they're formulas and um, roll-ups and lookups would, would be the same as this, but these are editable. Um, so it stays there. And so that's kind of it. I wanted to take it one layer deep. I wanted to know um, at the API level, what does it look like? So I go to the API um, schema page and um, there's no change. So basically it's just the percent sign and it just gives you the number. So it doesn't tell you what color it would be. I wish there was a way where you could say, also tell me, you know, what color this would be based off of my conditions. Um, and then I also wanted to look at the metadata API to see if they've updated the configurations for the percent to give you that information. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it does not yet. So the, according to the documentation, um, it just gives you the, the precision. Okay. So yeah. it'd be they good haven't if they, the API yet. It'd be good if they treated it like um, the single select field in the API where it'll say the ID of the select choice, the name of the select choice, and then the color of the select choice. Mm -hmm. In this case, it'd be like the precision. Um, yeah. Or I guess if you're reading the field value, it would say like the value and also the color. Yeah. 
No, that would be a pretty big change because any any previous one, it would um, you know it would break. Right. You'd be expecting a number, so it'd have to be like a um, one of the options that you can specify, like typecast. Yeah. Where you could pass it in to give it to you in the other format. <laughs> for, for, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, what about if it's a formula field? Does it give you different? They probably haven't updated it then. Either. Yeah, I think it's the same. Yeah. Uh, let me refresh. Um, yeah, it's the percent. Although it's interesting. Um, yeah, so it does give it to you in percent. Okay. Yeah. When you're doing um, record coloring, can you color by percent field or no? Um, yeah, you should be able to. Yeah, but like if you clear out these conditions, it'll give you, normally it would give you the option color by select field or your conditions. Could you do color by, yeah, get rid of those. Yeah, no. 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 At this point, because it is, it's effectively the same because it's not a gradient of colors. It's a solid color for whatever conditions you set up within the percent field. I would like it if you could color by percent field in the same way you could color by a select field. Otherwise, you have to recreate those color conditions in the color records panel. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So. Yeah, so this is a great feature. Uh, as a third-party developer, it's always frustrating because you can't recreate this in a tool. Um, you'd have to recreate your own conditioning. You can't repurpose the conditioning already set up in here because you don't have that information. They also do not have their support article on percent file type updated. So there's no huh. reference to um, progress bars in their support docs. Yeah, and they, they do have... Now, the thing at the bottom of this support page reminds me that they have changed percents before. So <laughs> I don't know what's up with the percents uh, un underneath it all. But, you know, this is the second time uh, yeah. they've gotten or might have might get a shakeup if they adjust how it's reported in the yeah. API. Yeah. So very good. That concludes uh, season 15, episode one. Good to be back with you. We will be back next week with more fun. I believe we have a guest joining. So thank you, everybody, for joining, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. for joining today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out our sponsor ontair.com and we will see you next time on the Built on Air podcast. <laughs>